This episode of The Minimalists is brought to you by nobody, because advertisements suck! <laughs> yeah, they do. Every little thing you think that you need Every little thing you think that you need Every little thing that's just feeding your greed Oh, I bet that you'd be fine without it Hey, y'all, let's record a podcast. (laughs) Hello, everybody. My name is Joshua Fields Milburn. And I am Ryan Nicodemus. And together, we are the Minimalist. Wow, we, so we have a very special guest here tonight, and so what we're going to do is we're going to answer some of your questions. We're going to bring him out in a second. Man, thank you so much for being here tonight. We, you're welcome. We, we have a special guest here. He is an author. He is also a talented podcaster. I'm proud to be able to call him a friend. He's also, I think he's literally the fittest and healthiest person that I know. Ladies and gentlemen, let's welcome to the stage Mr. Rich Roll. Yeah. So, Rich, you just turned 50, and I am... uh, Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, man. I want to look like that when I'm 50. I want to look like that when I'm 20. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But, but... So there's this weird thing. Like, I I was thinking about, you know, earlier today when I was walking around, like... There, there's so many things that I could say about Rich right now, and it, we're, we're, in a t- we're in this moment in time. Well, in fact, when you meet someone new, what's one of the first things they ask you? What do you do? Four words that, like, just kill any conversation, right? Because then you're like, well, the title on my business card says this. And, and then you spend 15 minutes talking about what you do to earn a living. And there's nothing wrong with that. We all have to earn a paycheck or money to pay the bills, right? But I found a, a long time ago, Rich, I found that I, I changed that question. Back when I was in the corporate world, people would come up to me, and I had, an, I had an impressive answer to that question, as you used to as well, right? So when someone would come up to me and say, what do you do? I would say I'm the director of operations for 150 retail stores and uh, for this company, which I know is really ironic now with the minimalism thing and retail stores. But it was what I did at the time. And then I would say, what do you do? And, and really it was like, well, what is your job title? But the truth is that question's really, it's a really broad question. I mean, there are so many things. Well, I, I like to take long walks on the beach and I drink water, I go to concerts. I listen to podcasts. What do you mean, what do I do? Oh, you're saying, where do I work? How much money do I earn so you can compare you to me on the socioeconomic ladder? So, Rich, I won't be asking you that today. Um, Thank God. (laughs) But um, uh, what I did with that experiment is is I would say, when someone asked me what you do, I'd say, I'm really passionate about writing. And then I would that that would usually change the the trajectory of the question because then I'd say, what are you passionate about? So, so, Rich, I guess my, my question is, instead of saying, what do you do, what I'm going to ask you is, what are you passionate about, and how did you get 
from where you were? What was the inciting incident or incidents that got you to where you are right now? <sighs> you're you're uh, throwing me a softball, huh? Buckle like, up. That's like a heavy Buckle question up. to kick things off. Um, yeah, man, I am. Uh, I am passionate about living purposefully. That's what's meaningful to me. How to live authentically, how to access and exude your best, most authentic self, I guess, to put a pithy phrase to it. Um, and like yourselves, I have my own version of, of your story. I'm a recovering corporate attorney. I've had a couple inciting incidents along my journey to being able to have the privilege of sitting up here with you guys. Um, you know, it started, with, uh, it started with a bout with alcoholism, that was an inciting incident, then getting sober and starting to reconfigure my life around spiritual principles as opposed to material principles. And you got sober and early 30s, 31, right? 31, yeah, okay. 31. Um, and in the wake of spending 100 days in rehab, which is a long time to go to rehab, I needed it, uh, at first I threw all of those addictive alcoholic tendencies into my work, into my profession, because I was somebody who had uh, demonstrated a lot of potential as a young person, and I'd squandered that as a result of my drinking and using, and I became very determined to get that back, to repair my relationships, to become an upstanding citizen and professional. And what that meant in my life at that time was, you know, making partner at my law firm and putting in those 80 to 90 hour weeks and doing the things that, you know, you guys spoke about earlier, buying the fancy car and spending money that I didn't have and realizing very slowly that this was widening the gap between my life satisfaction quotient and, uh, you know, what I was aiming for um, and not meeting up to, you know, that standard that I'd set for myself, this idea of the American dream that I'd premised my entire life on. Go to, you know, work hard, get good grades, get into the best college, get into the best grad school, get the best job, you know, show up early, work late, all that stuff. Uh, and so by the time I was 39, I had all those things, you know, I had a really nice car, I, you know, I had a lot of, a lot of stuff, a lot of stuff. Um, and I had this existential crisis about how I was living because I wasn't taking care of myself physically. That existential crisis about what is my purpose, what am I doing here, uh, butted up against a health scare because I'd put on 50 pounds, I was a junk food addict, I was stressed out, I was depressed, I was essentially hurtling into middle age on a crash course with chronic lifestyle illness. And so the real inciting incident that changed my life happened shortly before my 40th birthday when I was walking up a simple flight of stairs up to my bedroom late one night after coming home late from work and having to pause halfway up a simple flight of stairs, like winded, out of breath, tightness in my chest, like buckled over, and really afraid that I was on the precipice of having a heart attack. And I was 39, and I had been you know, a world-ranked swimmer in college, like I was an athlete. You know? And so that was a real uh, awakening moment for me. And it was very similar to the moment that I decided I was going to go to rehab, you know, and, 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 it, and it sort of conjured up that idea of how powerful um, these, in, these inciting incidents can be, how powerful these moments are, um, that when you make a decision in that moment, how, how profoundly it can change your life. And because that had happened with me getting sober, I realized that once again I was being visited by one of those moments and that... Uh, I had an opportunity to act, and I knew that if I acted immediately, deliberately, specifically, uh, that 
I could change my life, and and that's exactly what I did. And that. What what kind of changes did you make from from that point? There 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 were some significant changes. Yeah, if you Google me and you read online stories about about this change in my life, it looks like it all happened you know overnight. Uh, and it wasn't like that. It was a number of years. I mean, it started with diet. I slowly progressed to adopting a plant-based diet, a vegan diet. Yeah, buddy. Who here is vegan? We got vegans in the house? Yeah, awesome. Um, going plant-based revitalized my health. Uh, it got me interested in health and fitness and exercise once again. I actually wanted to move my body and, and, and connect with that physical part of who I am, and, and, and that really brought a lot of joy into my life because it was something that I didn't, had, had brought me so much happiness as a young person, but I'd put so much distance between myself and that for so many years. So, you know, nutrition, plant-based diet, exercising, fitness, one thing led to another, and then, you know, a couple years later, uh, I found myself interested in the world of ultra-endurance sports because I changed my life so profoundly in, in, in a relatively short period of time, I started thinking a lot about potential. You know, by making a few simple changes in my life, I was able to access potential that I didn't even know that I had. And so I started to think, well, what, where else am I overlooking areas of self-development? Where are my hidden uh, reservoirs of potential that I haven't tapped into yet? And ultra-endurance sports seemed like uh, a really cool template for exploring that, Phys not just physically, but also mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. You know, I'm, I'm really inspired by, you know, I, I'm inspired by your story, but I'm inspired by, more by your actions today. You know, like literally today, I, I, I see a tweet from him, I got up at six and then went, you know, swimming. I don't know how far you, you swam, but it was quite a few miles, but it's what you're preparing for. And, you know, I, I see this and I'm like, I, I got up early too. I got up at 5 a.m. at the gym, but I'm like, man, I could be doing, doing so much, so much more. Um, what drives you at this point? I mean, I think in order to answer that, you have to reframe it. Like a lot of people look at, at the training that I do right now and I think, oh, it's, that just sounds horrible. But it's actually right. what I enjoy doing. Like given the choice, this is, if I have free time, this is what I prefer to do. This is how I prefer to spend my time. And that's not necessarily connected to me making a dollar or you know, uh, a, a sort of um, improving my career professionally or anything like that. Um, it's, just what, it's just who I am. You know, it's a natural uh, extension of my authentic self. So when you asked me initially at the outset of our conversation, you know, what, what, is, what, what are you most passionate about? It is living authentically. And so when I began this journey and started training for these crazy ultra endurance races, I mean, people thought I was insane. You know, I was supposed to be, you know, trying to make partner <laughs> law firm. And, I'm, and, you know, instead I was spending all my time training. It made no sense at all. But I just knew, like, my heart was telling me to do this, and for some reason I felt this pull. And I knew that pull was pure, and that it was real, and if I followed that thread, even though it defied logic, that I would find the answers that I was seeking through that. And it took many years, and it was painful. It was very much the warrior's path. But by sort of burning in those flames, I was able to come out the other side and craft this new life that's, that's really founded upon you know, seeking out and pursuing and exuding and sharing these ideas of how to live authentically, how to live purposefully and intentionally. 
And so you, uh, you have a, a great podcast, by the way. It's called the Rich Roll Podcast, Thank for those you. of you who are un, un, uninformed. Get informed. Uh, mm-hmm. um, it, it's a great podcast. Uh, one, one fan over here. Yeah. <laughs> but they really love you. Yeah. <laughs> but um, it, what, what made you dive into that? And, and the reason I asked the question is because you are a phenomenal interviewer. I mean, we, we sat down... I don't know, last fall, and like, I, was, I was staying in a little Airbnb in West Hollywood. I was out in L.A. for a week, and you came over, and you had like, this whole setup, and, and we just had like, just a genuine conversation there for a couple hours. And what, I guess what compelled you to, to do the podcast the way you do it, and, 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 and how, how the hell are you such a good conversationalist when you sit behind the microphone? I appreciate the kind words. Uh, Well, it takes two to tango. You are an amazing uh, person to speak to, so the conversation was easy for me. The only thing missing from that conversation was Ryan. Apparently, I had more important things to do that day. (laughs) Um, But thank you for that. I started the podcast in 2012. I fell in love with the medium when I was training for these ultra-endurance races because I would put in training days like eight hours on the bike, and you can't listen to music for that long, right? And I started listening to audiobooks, and I started falling in love with podcasts. And so I was, a, first of all, I was a fan of the medium. Uh, and then I wrote a book that came out in 2012 called Finding Ultra. It's a memoir. It's my story. Um, and in the wake of that book being released, uh, I thought, well, what's the next thing? Like, how can I continue the conversation that was begun in this book, which is very much about addiction and recovery and sobriety and diet and fitness and wellness and you know, living authentically. Um, and I thought, well, maybe I'll take a crack at a podcast. So in 2012, to start a podcast, I mean, I wasn't an early adopter because the medium had been around really since around, I guess, 2006 or so is when it kind of you know, premiered on iTunes. But in 2012, it wasn't cool to have a podcast. And I noticed that in the health space, there wasn't really that many people who were doing anything of high caliber. And I wanted to contribute to that and and bring, you know, not only my experience, but uh, be able to put a microphone in front of people that I had had the privilege of encountering on my journey uh, to help amplify their voice. And I think the, the sort of primary um, uh, theme of my show or like how I go into each of these conversations, it's not about extracting information from the guest. That's sort of a, a tangential benefit. But really, my goal is to be able to connect with them, like to be able to have an honest, uh, authentic, I know that word's getting thrown or bandied around pretty cavalierly, but to really have an, an authentic connection with the person that I'm speaking to and to trust that if I can do that, then the information will flow. But if you can connect with somebody in a, in a really fundamental, honest way, that's where the magic happens. So instead of planning out how I want it to go, to, do, to, to show up and be present and to listen. Most people don't listen. You know what I mean? They have their 10 questions they want to ask. As soon as you answer it, they say, awesome. And then they ask the next question. What would happen if you actually listen to what the person is saying to you? The next question is always baked into that if you're paying attention. Yeah, so, so when I sat down with you in that little Airbnb, it was like a little rickety table. And 
it was it was evident to me that you were listening, but not it wasn't just the the head nod and the sort of passive passive listen. It, it was it was engaged, and, and what I the word you used was authenticity, and for me that's like the one thing you actually can't affect, right? You can't pretend to be authentic because by de definition, if you're being authentic, then then you're being authentic, right? And, and, and so the, the thing that I felt there, and I felt at ease, which is not something that I feel very often during an interview. I, as soon as you shove a microphone in my, front of my face, I feel like the biggest mumble mouth in the world. And uh, it was about 15 minutes in where it was just like, like I felt like I was just, I had breathed this sigh of relief. So, and I see that you do that with so many of your guests, and you have, you have great guests on from all walks of life, and it all ties back to, to living an intentional life or, or just human well-being in general. Um, it doesn't mean that everyone on your show necessarily has the same beliefs as you, and that's what's really nice uh, about it is you tend to get to whatever your core values are via different beliefs, different routes. It's like if you're getting to a destination, you take a different road there, you know, you can take uh, the Pacific Coast Highway, or you can take you know, I-5 down to LA, eventually you'll get there either way. Those are different beliefs, but if you end up at the same spot, those are your values. And I find the conversations that you have on your podcast do that. So I want to acknowledge you for that and just say thanks. Thanks for a great show. Yeah, appreciate that. Thank you. Um, I th and I think that's because I, I, I think it's, if I have a strength, it's less about conversational skill than it is about empathy. You know, like I, I try to cultivate empathy. Like, what would it be like to walk a mile in this person's shoes? And the more I can expand that empathetic impulse, then that creates comfort in the guest and allows the magic to percolate up. Well, before we dive into some questions, we do have a microphone down here somewhere. Oh, it's right there. You're welcome to come up. Now, so after the event, Ryan and I do hugs and pictures and all that stuff, and we'd love to hug all 600 of you or however many people were here, but we can't a answer everyone's questions. So now is the time for questions. If you have a question, come on up. We'll, we'll do our best to, to answer it, all three of us. Do I see a line is, of is people this a line up? Is, it, is this a line of questions? Oh, awesome. Beautiful. We people. All well, right, cool. Well, well, let's get started. Let's dive in. Hi, Josh. Hi, Ryan. And hi, Rich. Nice to meet you. Howdy. Uh, my What's your name, is, man? My name is Gary. Gary, I'm nice from... smile, Gary. That's a, that's a good one, man. Thank you. So I didn't get as smart as you guys, as early as you guys, but in eight weeks I am leaving my corporate job. And nice. Congratulations, man. And I want to thank you guys. Hey, what do you do? <laughs> I'm the director of op... No. <laughs> uh, I am a buyer for a chain of 200 and 60 stores. Oh, wow. Way to one-up me. <laughs> Congratulations, brother. I'm proud That's of you. That's great, man. Thank you. Thank you. So, uh, I want to thank you guys, first of all, for providing a template and guidance as I try to decide what's next, what's my encore career. And I'm going to read this. I'm tempted to piggyback onto your values but feel that I really should go through my own process of examination. You often mention the importance of being clear on your values and beliefs. Can you discuss the process you used to develop and clarify your five foundational values? 
What are the questions that you ask or the resources that you reference to facilitate that process? Yes. And that might be an essay. It might not be a That's podcast a great question, answer. Gary. Wow. That's great. Um, so, so let's talk about values real quick. Um, since we, we touched on that just for a, a second, I think there are four different types of values, right? So you have these, these foundational values. And what Ryan and I wrote about in our first book, Minimalism, Live a Meaningful Life, um, which is available afterward in the lobby. Um, no, seriously, if it, it, I mean, yeah, we do have books out there. If you can't afford one um, for whatever reason, we're happy to buy you a copy as well. So if, if you want one, please pick it up. It's, it's on us if you can't, if you can't afford it. Um, uh, but if you, if you do buy one, it, it goes to one of our favorite charities. It's to repair our smashed window because a bunch of our shit got stolen today. Thanks, San Francisco. Um, it's all right. I was so honored to have our window smashed in San Francisco. <laughs> I still freaking love this city. There were so many cars on that street, and they chose ours. So uh, Ryan and I identified, once we got the stuff out of the way, we started asking some questions. So some of the questions I talked about earlier, uh, why have I given so much meaning to all this stuff? That was one of the questions. What is truly important in my life? Who is the person I want to become? Why have I been so discontented? That one was important, the discontented one, because I, it made me think, like, what, what is making me anxious? What is making me overwhelmed? What is pissing me off so I can do the opposite of that, so I can fix it, right? And then, the, you know, who's the person I want to become? That's like sort of looking at a horizon. And so, like, who's my 40-year-old self? What's that person look like? Not exactly, like, not what's the exact recipe? What are my goals? Uh, that's not what I'm looking for. I'm just looking for an ideal sort of horizon to travel toward. And once I get there, there'll always be a new horizon to travel toward. And then what is my definition of success? And that's changed radically because the old template was broken for me. And it sounds like that template was broken for you, right? Because you achieve something and you think, well, I'm going to be happier. I'm going to feel something. And you might, but it's fleeting. It, it, it lasts, you know, it's the same as when you buy something. At, you, you go buy something expensive that maybe you didn't really need or even want that much. Like you get this little high at the checkout line, but by the time you get home with the thing and see the, the receipt, you're like, what have I done? What have I done? <laughs> um, and, and so once we started asking those questions, we figured out these, these five higher order values or foundational values, um, health, relationships, passion, or you might call it creativity, growth and contribution. And I find anytime I'm feeling discontented now, it's because one of those buckets is missing somewhere. Uh, I'll give you a quick example. The last two years of my life have, have been two of the best and two of the most challenging years of my life at the same time because my, I've had a lot of health issues. Um, I, I've had some tremendous back problems and, and crazy back pain. I uh, had some, and still do have, I'm, I'm repairing my gut. I had really bad gut microbiome issues from long-term antibiotic use. And it really fucked up my life. I mean, it really did. To the point, there was a point toward the end of, of last year, um, I thought I was dying. Like, I updated my will, and Ryan and I stopped doing the podcast for a month. I stopped doing anything, and I'm like, this might be it. Um, and, and so I had to laser focus on the health stuff, and I still do. The reason I was up at 5 a.m. this morning, I was doing an hour and 15 minutes of physical therapy on my back. And so I will do that. I'll make the time for it. So those are, those are the five higher order values. But then beyond that, you sort of have these core values. And I think those higher order values or the foundational values, um, 
those foundational values, they're pretty much the same for everyone, I think, to a great extent. You can add new ones in there, and you can say, well, no, I don't value any of, I don't value my health. Yeah, I mean, I, I, think, I think those five are, 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 to a certain extent, are going to apply to everyone. What health means to you is going to be different. What health means to Rich is he's like, if I don't run a marathon twice a day, then I'm not healthy. Um, no, it, it's certainly, it's certainly going to be different for... Come on. <laughs> I'm projecting my insecurities onto you. It's okay. Um, no, I, I, I think that... I think that's going to be the same. I think the next level, the core values change pretty dramatically depending on, on who you are. And I think there's a list for, I think mine's about 20. I mean, things like freedom or free speech. And I think you want to be able to define those with a tweet. Figure out what those values are. And it's good to have someone else, an accountability partner or a partner. In fact, my partner, uh, Rebecca, she's here tonight. This is her last night hanging out on the tour. Yeah. Rebecca, somewhere up there. She, she has a great website called Minimal Wellness, uh, a lot of great recipes, and, well, and she also has the recipe for your values on there. So if you go to minimalwellness.com slash values, she has like a worksheet that she put together based on her and I sitting down and, and sort of going through our own values one by one and identifying things like freedom or autonomy or caring or loving or support, the, the different values, and then defining those with one sentence. And it needs to be something that's memorable that you can, that you can stick to. And, and you want to go over, I tend to go over that list once a month, and then I reevaluate it once a year. So those core values are really important, and they'll shift over time. I mean, the cool thing about doing it with a partner is you find that oh, wow, yeah, you said this is really valuable. And you know what? That's valuable to me too. Or I wouldn't say it exactly like this because here's what I value. And it allows you to expand and solidify your values. Beyond that, I think you have minor values. I think that's sort of this, this next tier. And those are things that add value to your life but aren't necessary to, uh, to live a meaningful life. But those really uh, vary dramatically for different people. Certain hobbies or, or, or things that, that are minor values, you don't absolutely need them, but they help out. And then you have this fourth layer the imaginary values. And I was spending most of my time on what I imagined was valuable. You know, incessantly checking Facebook or email or going, bouncing from meeting to meeting to meeting. These were these imaginary values in my life. Watching TV, uh, just browsing the internet for hours on end. And I had to get that under check because those were getting in the way of my, my real values. And so watch out for the imaginary values and keep reevaluating. Because sometimes those things that are minor values now, they'll stop being valuable to your life. And you have to admit that and say, ah, this is an imaginary value now. I think if you follow that template, it'll help you out. Great. Thank you. And I look forward to visiting Minimal Wellness. And thank you, Becca. <laughs> Thanks for being here. Yeah, man. I'll, just, I'll say uh, just a couple more things to add what Josh said. Um, to, to really get to those core values, because, I mean, or I should say what the foundational values, like that's, that's, where, that's where you gotta start, right? You gotta have a good foundation before you can build up on that. I mean, a lot of people might just be stuck on those foundational values. And the question I would start with is what are my priorities? I mean, that, that's what I started with when I was looking at 80% of my stuff still, uh, still sitting in boxes. I'm like standing there looking at all that stuff and I'm starting to like play out this narrative in my head of like, what am I doing? Like, what is, why am I living my life? And I told myself like, well, you know, maybe one day I'll save up enough money and maybe I'll retire at like age 45 or maybe age 50. You know, I'll, I'll retire early. 
But then I'm looking at tens of thousands of dollars of stuff that I had in my living room, and then I look at my bank account, hadn't really been saving anything, like not even getting close to that. And then I thought about, oh, you know, my, my health, like that's, that's one of my priorities too. Like if I'm not healthy, I'm not happy. But I was staying out at the bar till three o'clock in the morning. And then, you know, I'd stop at, uh, in, in the Midwest, we stop at White Castle at three in the morning. And, and then, you know, I thought about uh, my relationships. Well, those are important. If you don't have good people in your life, well, then, you know, what kind of life are you living? I mean, you got to look at who you are. It's, it's, it's the five people you hang out with, and it's, it's who you're, you're uh, you know, who you look up to. And my mom, like, she was really important, but I saw her maybe, you know, six or seven times a year. She lived a half hour away. And so I, I was sitting there looking at, like, wow, here are all these things that are preventing me from actually putting effort or taking action on these priorities. And what I realize is that, yeah, like our priorities, it's not what we say they are, it's what we do. So for anyone out there who is struggling just with those foundational uh, values, like ask yourself, what are your priorities? And then look at how you're spending your time. And if you're not spending your time on those priorities, they're not really your priorities. And the other thing I'll say too, Gary, is man, I am so, I'm so proud of you, man, for starting. You're like, oh, you know, I didn't, I didn't get as smart. I didn't get smart as young as you guys. But man, there is, there is never, it's never too late to start. Like we will have, it's so true, and we will have, um, you know, uh, in St. Louis, we had, uh, and, and like during our 2014 tour, we had, it was like an 88-year-old grandmother show up and she was like, you know, I am, I am finally getting started on, on simplifying my life. And I've brought, you know, my daughter and, and, my, and my grandkid. And she had, a, she, her, her grandkid had just had a kid. So there's like three generations of daughters there. And she was like, and I'm finally starting my journey. And, and, and I know that people out there are like, oh, I'm too old or I'm too this or I'm too that. And it's, it's too hard to start. Well, you're right, it is hard to start, but you're never too old to start. I mean, we had a five-year-old show up in, uh, it was in San Diego, and as I'm walking out to, to the meet and greet line, she's like, her parents are like, go on, go on, and she's like, hi, I'm five. <laughs> and I'm like, cool. <laughs> she's like, I just donated my clothes. You wanna talk about starting young, man. She's starting younger than me. But how cool is that? Like, you know, a five-year-old starting that young. Um, my, uh, my mom, she is, she's got a job right now. She called me up a couple weeks ago, and she was telling me how she's saving up to buy an RV. So she's got about a six- to eight-month plan where she's just, like, working her butt off. She's saving up money. She's going to buy an RV. She's going to be 60 soon. Like, well, I don't want to say soon. Next couple years. God, I hope she's not listening to this. Love you, Mom. Um... <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and she's going to buy an RV. Her plan, <laughs> I'm not even joking, her plan is to just drive around city to city, state to state, doing open mic nights, <laughs> like living a simple life. Yeah. <laughs> and she's going to be 60 not too soon. Like, how awesome is that? And you know what? All I can say is, like, I, I love you, Mom, and I will support you however I want. I could probably come up with some awesome minimalist jokes. Like, how many minimalists does it take to screw in a light bulb? 
zero, because minimalists don't own light bulbs, right? <laughs> no, so, so uh, congratulations, man. Keep up the great work, and you're, you're going you're gonna to be awesome, man. <laughs> hey, real quick, before we, before we move on to the next question, Rich, let me ask you, because clearly you, you had two inside instances that they were almost a decade apart in a way, right? You, you, you sort of said, okay, you go through recovery, and then, and then it pings you over into this corporate hysteria, and then you realize, like, oh, I'm out of whack on this side. How, how did your values change throughout that, I mean, a dozen years or so that, that you went through all of that? Well, I think it, it, it brings up an interesting um, question that I was going to ask you guys because the you know values and value like you're you're constantly like fielding these questions like you know should I give away my stuff should I not and your retort is always like well does it bring value to your life right and I've been thinking about that and the word value is kind of vague yeah. right it's an undefined thing and it's a very personal. Uh, uh, it's very personal, right? We all have a different version of what that is. And the word value is also different from values. Absolutely. You know what I mean? Absolutely. So parsing that, I think, is an individual journey. And in my own case, I would say that my core values, you know, my, fundament my fundamental values haven't changed. But I would say that my actions have become more in alignment with those values over time. And again, that's been a very gradual process for me. Um, you know, going from the person who's just, you know, how am I going to get mine and everybody else is in my way and, you know, they're a threat to me because this is a zero-sum game, going from that, like, mentality, which I thought, you know, was in alignment with my values, but, of course, was not and led to that existential crisis. So, so in a way, living, like, competition was an imaginary value for you back then or winning in, with respect to... Uh, it wasn't even winning. In a way, it seemed like it was like making sure other people lost so that you didn't... No, I, I wouldn't say it went that far with me. Okay. I would say I'm a naturally competitive person. I'm competitive with myself. And that's, that's, I've demonstrated that in, in athleticism and sports. And now, you know, I, I try to fuel that competitiveness into, you know, sort of a positive channel. Um, you know, yeah, buddy. Uh, now it's all about, like, how can I help the most number of people in the most positive and profound way to catalyze long-term change in them. You know, that's, that's like my operating system for how I approach my career and my life. And that has to spill into, you know, not just my professional life, but my personal life, my relationship with my wife and my kids, and keeping all of those things in an appropriate balance so that I can continue to do what I do. So I, I think that the biggest shift was going from somebody who was very out of balance to somebody who uh, recognizes that I'm attracted to being out of balance, I'm attracted to extremes, um, fighting that for a long time, saying I should be balanced, and then coming to a realization that actually there's a lot of strength in my attraction to these extremes, and trying to figure out a way to not only be okay with that, to accept that as part of who I am, but to find outlets for it that can be helpful, right? The pendulum always swings back. You know, I'm, I can be, I'm out of balance in a day, but over the course of a month or a year, you know, my, I make sure that all of the important things in my life are in balance. So I would say that that would be one shift. I mean, yeah. Thanks. Howdy. Uh, my name is Shelly. You might want to move that mic down just a little bit. 
There you go. All right. So you guys talk a lot about drudging through the drudgery. And I want to know what has helped you in the past do it or currently to do that? Yeah. I, what was, it, was it Faulkner that said, I think it may have been, that I write only when I'm inspired and I make sure I'm inspired every morning at 8.30 a.m.? I mean, I, here's the thing. So, so I, I've said that quite a bit with, with respect to writing. I, I teach a writing class online. It's called howtowritebetter.org for those of you interested. And um, I really learned that I spent most of my 20s aspiring to write, but I didn't do much writing because I always waited until like, well, uh, I would have like a list of 15 different things. But as soon as the laundry's folded and I have my cup of coffee and, oh, you know what? I forgot to do the dishes. And so I have all these, like, this whole list of things. And as soon as I do these 15 things, then I'm ready to write. And, like, of course, I get 14 of them done, and there's always be the 15th thing. And then I would run out of time. And, like, ah, I'll do it tomorrow, right? And, and of course, if you keep that up long enough, you don't actually put in any work. And so uh, I decided the, the best way for me to be able to put in the work is to actually do the work. And that meant I had to get rid of those rules. Instead of having 15 rules before I was ready to write, for me, it was having one rule. I have to wake up. Like, that was it. Now, if I can figure out how to write when I'm asleep, then I will be the most efficient writer ever. But until then, that's my only rule. And I got rid of the other ones. But it doesn't mean that it's always fun, right? I'm not always inspired. In fact, when I first started writing and writing seriously, it was about 80% drudgery for that 20% payoff. And I used to mistake that as not being passionate for the thing. I would say, well, this isn't fun. This is kind of boring. I'd rather be doing something else. So maybe I'll just go do something else. And I'll hop on Facebook or Twitter or whatever and do something that's sort of passive. But anything that's inherently passive generally isn't meaningful in terms of doing deep work. And I realized, like, well, wait a minute. The hard, the hard work, that's actually what, part of what makes it meaningful. And that's when I have to drudge through the drudgery. And so there are four words that, that changed uh, the way that I thought about writing. It was by a writer, a writer named uh, Donald Ray Pollock. He, he, he's written some great novels. One of them's called uh, The Devil All the Time. And um, he's from Ohio. And we met at this random Thai place in Chillicothe, Ohio. And he said, sit in the chair. I sort of looked at him. What do you mean? And he looked at me again. And he goes, sit in the chair. Because I was asking him about writing. And like, how, how do you do it? How, how do you make these, these, these novels? They're so beautiful. And that's it. Sit in the chair. You have to be willing to sit down and do the work. And for me, it meant setting my alarm an hour earlier when I was in the corporate world. Instead of getting up at 5.45, I got up at 4.44 every morning, spent one hour sitting in the chair. Didn't worry about word count, page count, whatever. I just sat there and did it. And eventually, one hour turned into two, two hours turned into three. And, and that's still the sweet spot. Two to three hours for me is, is great. You, you still want to leave something behind for the next day as well. And for me, that's, that's drudging through the drudgery. And still now, 50% of the time, I want to put my head through the freaking wall. But the other 50% of the time, it's like one of the best feelings in the world. Yeah, I think for me, it's, um, it's really focusing on, you know, why I want to even dig into the drudgery. I mean, you know, we're on tour right now. We're doing 40 cities this year. Or even let me go back further. We did 100 cities in 2014. 
it was a blast. Like, if I could do it all over again, I would totally do it all over again. It was really hard work. Like, it was unbelievable being in this. I mean, I have a whole new appreciation for bands who toured, like, do 200 shows. David Sedaris will do over 200 shows a year. Like, it's, it's unbelievable. Um, but get clear on why you want to even put the effort in. Because, you know, if it's like, oh, I want to play guitar because I want to be like, uh, you know, Jimmy Page and I, and I want to, you know, be an excellent guitarist. That's, I mean, that's a reason, I guess. But, like, that's not a very good reason, you know? So get clear on, on why you really want to, why you really want to uh, dig into the drudgery. The other thing I would say, too, is, like, don't focus on the big picture. I mean, focus on the little things every day. Um, my partner, Mariah, right now, he's also up there with Bex. Say hi, Mariah. She's such an awesome partner. Like, I cannot believe, like, how much she supports me going on the road. Um, what I was going to say about her is she is going through this uh, coding school right now. She's got to spend, like, six to eight hours a day. And, like, sometimes I look at her computer and it looks like she's hacking into the Matrix or something. Like, it's, it's pretty crazy. And, yeah, like, to get her to come out on this tour, I'm like, hey, you want to come out on tour? And she's like, I got school. Like, I, you know, how much am I going to be able, you know, to work on my, on my, on my programming and, and coding? And I'm like, ah, come on, you know. But she's been making time for it. And you know what she focuses on every day? It's just, like, learning something new, getting through. I, I can't tell you how many times she is, like, just, you know, making a fist and she's like, oh, I can't believe, you know, I can't get this program to work or I can't get... It's like that little Arthur meme. Yeah. Y'all remember that? No? There's some millennials I can't here. Get this I can't get this function to, to do this certain thing. And, and you know what? Like an hour later, like, she will figure it out or maybe it's the next day. But like just going from point A to point B, she is learning something new and then she starts over point A to point B. And you know what? Uh, I can tell you, like, in the last four months since she's started this, leaps and bounds better than, you know, obviously when she didn't know anything. And in the next four months, she's going to be even, even further. Now, if I was, like, on her every day, and I'm like, well, when are you going to be employable? When are you going to be able to code for a company? You know, I mean, that would be, what a, what a bad way to look at it, right? Instead of focusing on that big picture, instead of focusing on the, when am I going to sell my best album? When am I going to have that best-selling book? It's focusing on just growing a little bit every single day. And all those little growths, they add up to a huge growth. I have a thought. <laughs> Let's hear it. I think that uh, most people overestimate what they can do in a year and underestimate what they can do in a day. You know, work works, and consistency will rule the day. You know, mountains are not moved in a day. But in my experience, uh, my own personal experience, and in the experience that I've had interviewing over 300 people for the podcast and the high performers that I happen to surround myself in my life, they will all tell you the same thing. And they will tell you that they show up every single day to pursue that thing that uh, gives their life meaning and purpose. They do it uh, irrespective of how they feel about it. Uh, and it is something that is not necessarily fueled by the quickly burning flame of passion, but the more sustainable fuel of purpose and meaning. 
and intentionality, right? So if you want to go to the Olympics as an athlete, if you want to write a book, if you want to you know, become an entrepreneur, startup, whatever it is, it's what you are doing in that day, in that moment. What choices are you making about how you're allocating your time uh, to make room for pursuing that thing that's going to move you forward? And unfortunately, we're mired in a culture uh, that has really heralded the life hack as the answer for all of our problems. How can we shortcut our way to you know, immediate success? How can, I, how can I become the next Instagram or whatever it is? And the truth is, is that the people that become successful in the thing that they are pursuing are the people that are not trying to find the shortcut, but are actually embracing the journey, the long journey ahead of them. And by not avoiding that and not resisting it, I think that you will have a better shot at actually moving your life in the trajectory that you desire. Thank you guys, that was awesome. That's good, that's what I meant. So real quick, um, Rich, you, you, were on, you were on the precipice of a heart attack, standing on your stairs, and you didn't decide, like, well, I think I'm just going to go out and try, you know, a 5K today, right? What, but what, what were the initial steps? Because it all feels like drudgery at some point. But if we don't have any momentum, what were some things at the beginning where you're like, at least I understand the direction now. I'm, I'm headed, I've been headed in the wrong direction. I need to turn around and not sprint in the other direction. I at least need to turn around and start going that way. How did that manifest for you? Well, it manifested initially by, uh, by delving deep into you know, who I am, <laughs> you know, to not get too new agey about it, but it was really about trying to trust and follow my heart. You know, the, the gentleman here who, who asked the initial question, what I gathered from his question was really a struggle with trying to figure out like, what it is that is most important or meaningful, or, you know, where can he find that value? And I think it's an internal journey, right? I didn't have the answers to any of those things, but I knew that um, there were certain things that I really enjoyed doing with my time uh, that I hadn't been doing. You know, simple things, like I love how the sun feels on my shoulder running on a trail at dawn. You know, that doesn't cost any money, you know what I mean? I was like, I'm gonna start doing that, you know? And the more I started, making choices um, that allowed me to do those things that I loved lead to opportunities, lead to other doors opening. So it wasn't like I had this idea like I'm going to be an ultra endurance athlete and I'm going to start a podcast and I'm going to sit on stage at the Fillmore with the minimalists. You know, it was just like, you know what, I'm going to go for a run. You know, and the more I started to trust my instinct, regardless of what the chatter of, you know, friends and family or whatever, you know, that, that like echo chamber of feedback, that feedback loop that might not necessarily be guiding you in the right direction, trying to like remove myself from that and really trust myself. And, but, to, but first that requires that internal journey of making sure that your instincts are, le are true, right? That are leading you in the right place. And you have to really clean house. You have to like do that mental, emotional, spiritual inventory for yourself so that when that impulse arises, you can trust it as being the right direction for you. And so for me, it was just a long journey of on a daily basis trusting that and, and believing that this would lead, having faith, honestly, that this would lead me towards something 
that would help me answer those questions. And all that time alone, you know, running and training, helped me really wrestle with and, and, and get a grip on uh, trying to define my own value system and what was important to me. So I think it's about creating space. You know, I would, have, I would be suggesting to you to, to, to meditate every morning. Try to, even if it's five minutes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes, that internal journey is what is gonna answer those questions for, your, for you. You know, when we were in the green room, and you said something that really stuck out to me about how you were addicted to the wrong things uh, in, your, in your early life, uh, addicted to working the, the 80, 90 hours a week, alcohol, and other things, and how you were essentially able to find better addictions. And it's funny, because I think about that word addiction, and it's such, a, it's such a pejorative. But we're all addicted to something. Who doesn't think they're addicted to something? I will prove you wrong right now. Man, I was really hoping to prove someone wrong. This monk is going to stand up. Yeah. <laughs> we actually had that in, uh, where, where was that? Where were we? Uh, Portland. Oh, yeah, we were in Portland, Oregon. Yeah. And a monk stood up, and he, he got up on the mic, and he goes, are you telling me I have to become a monk to be a minimalist? <laughs> yeah, well, even that monk, he's addicted to oxygen. If he doesn't have oxygen, he's dead. We are all addicted to something. I'm addicted to coffee, and, and I guess... What I'm trying to say is, is you know, a choose your addictions wisely, uh, but be addicted to good things. I think addiction is the wrong word for that. I mean, the, the definition of addiction is something is a habit that's that's damaging your life, right? So, so maybe we could we could you know f figure out a different word for it. Um, but you know, where where do you want to direct your energy? We all have compulsions. We're all. I think you're right. Like, I think this. You know, our consumerist culture is fueled on addiction. You know, we are addicted to accumulating, like, and, you know, it goes down from there, right? So I think on some level you're correct. We all fall somewhere on that spectrum of addiction. Um, for me, though, I have to be very wary, like, am I, is my relationship with, you know, fitness or these other things that I do, is that an addictive relationship or is that a productive and appropriately balanced relationship? Because if it becomes addictive, then, you know, my marriage starts to slide and suddenly I'm not with hanging out with my kid. Like, my life will fall apart, right? So uh, I, can't, I can't have an addictive relationship with the things that I'm passionate about, but I can have an engaged and meaningful relationship with those things, if that makes sense. It does. Beautiful. Before we get to the next question, for those folks who listen to this at home, uh, if you have a comment or a tip for any of the, any, anyone who asked a question today, you can give us a call, 406-219-7839, and we will air our favorite comments and tips on a future episode. Ryan, do you know what time it tip is? Tip line. <laughs> it is time for our hashtag Ask the Minimalists lightning round. Yeah, this is where we answer yeah. questions. Usually, uh, they're really tweetable answers, and like we have a week to put this together. But now you're going to ask it live on the spot. So what we try to do is, is we'll monitor on a bit and give you something wrapped up with a nice little bow. So you'll get a regular answer, but hopefully we'll give you something tweetable to go home with. You can share it on social media if you like. We're at The Minimalists on Facebook and where else? We're, Instagram and, and Twitter. Uh, Jess is around here somewhere. Jessica Williams handles all of our social media, and she does an outstanding job with it. Jessica Williams, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. She'll be back at the, the, uh, the merch booth taking photos and stuff afterward. 
So stop by and say hi to Jess. Howdy, what's your name? Berlin. Uh, so I have a statement and a question. Was okay. I was in the lightning room. Yeah, <laughs> that's fine. Uh, a lightning statement, lightning question. I'm okay. good with that. So one statement is like, I'm bipolar, and I totally understand that your mom was bipolar. Oh, but if yeah. we could minimize saying manic spending or manic anything, because I feel like as far as like bipolar is misunderstood, it's already stigmatized. And when people associate mania with trivial things, they don't understand the depths of what mania does to a person, their family, and relationships. Mm -hmm. So I like to tell people, as bipolar people, we're just like connoisseurs of every emotion or hashtag lifestyle or emotional engineers. So <laughs> <laughs> I love it. <laughs> <laughs> connoisseurs of every emotion. Yes, we Man, that is a great Twitter bio. <laughs> Speaking, speaking of like, like, like the lightning round pithy statements, that is perfect. Thank you for yes, that. Thank you. Um, and then also my question to you, maybe you can wrap it up in a bow. But I, it sounds like you guys can relate with me. I've gone through a lot of emotional trauma. And for me, I think a lot of people, when it comes to trauma, I think when it comes to minimalism, unpacking our items also, it brings about like not just a, the feeling of, having much stuff to kind of have a social status, but it's like a depth of emotion of having nothing. You know what I mean? Especially me, like I've had no food. So like I know that I will buy things sometimes in a copious amount of things that I don't need because I feel like I need to be able to have for myself and I need to have for someone else. So like how do you do like as adults reconcile that, like having parents that put you through those situations and like as you're unpacking your parents' stuff, it had to be pretty like hard for you. You know what I mean? A different level of of I would say like attachment to someone who's like always had something and maybe they just hoard or they just accumulate items. Whereas the fear is like you have this like deep set fear that like if you get rid of these things you're just like ungrateful or you just have this like ruminating thoughts that, that are probably not actually true but it's just how you've, you've, you've learned to survive I guess. What are you afraid of? For me I'm afraid that like I can't, I'm the oldest so I'm afraid that Somebody, I, my, I've always, my role in my family is I solve everything. So I'm afraid that if I don't have enough, I won't have a solution. Does that make sense? So for me, my fear is that, it, that I won't be effective, that my parents can't rely on me, that my brothers and sisters can't look to me, that my friends or my job, like I feel this need to make sure that I can take care of everyone. And even in my job, that's what I do. I take care, I'm a lifestyle engineer. I take care of everyone's life and I make sure that they, if they need their car sighted, if they need their plants watered, I do that for them. And that for me is very, it's very important because it makes me feel successful. It's not you like to be stuff. in control. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, me too. I'm a total control freak. <laughs> I'm a total control freak. I, 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 get, I get where you're going. Um, well, oh, here's a pithy answer for you. <laughs> I'm crafting the tweet. Sometimes letting go of control is the best way to regain control. Oh yeah, it's, it's sort of a rap battle, but we don't, without rapping, and so yeah, you get to determine who wins this. Ryan. That's good, man. And then we'll move on to Rich. He's got the longest time to create something pithy. Oh, oh you ready? ready? Go for it. Do it, dude. I would love some more time. <laughs> I'm not going to give you that much time. <laughs> control is an illusion.
just gonna ramble on for a little bit until until I can come up with 140 characters. Um, I can buy you some time. Thanks, man. No, well, I guess well, I am not someone who has to be in control all the time. Like I feel, I feel like control is an illusion. I've, I've 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 felt that way ever since. The SWAT team was kicking in our door in the eighth grade. I was, I mean, I never had, I've never had control. And anytime I thought I had control, um, I still, you know, like kind of shit would hit the fan, you know? And you were enlightened early. Yeah, I guess so. Um, man, uh, I, I, give me, <laughs> can I take a five minute break here, Mike? <laughs> No, um, I, I guess what I would say is that it is, even if, even if uh, you were to get as much control as possible, like, you're never going to have 100% control. So I'm still rambling, still rambling. Um, you're never going to have 100% control. It's impossible. Um, I mean, the big one might hit right now. It would be an honor to go down with all of you in this beautiful theater. <laughs> but, but you know, what, what I'm saying, though, is, is that... Um, oh, I think I got something. Uh, pursuing control will eventually teach you that you have no control. <laughs> Thank you, thank you. I'll take it. And you'll suffer while you're doing it. Yeah, yeah. It's so true. Yeah, I think that that is true. I mean, so I, I was thinking the other night, it was a really good example. We were in Los Angeles, and I was feeling outstanding before the event. Like, true, everything was great. Like, we had a really good meeting with Netflix right beforehand. We're working on something else. Um, have, you all, have you all seen our documentary? <laughs> Well, ladies and gentlemen, the Italian stallion himself, Matt Diavella, the director of Minimalism, he's here tonight, right up here. You truly can thank Matt for the documentary. Like, it's funny, people be like, great documentary. I'm like, I know I was in it, but like, that's the guy who made it all happen. Yeah, for sure. So anyway, we, we were there in Los Angeles and like, we had a great guest, Rob Bell was there. And um, we had an amazing like musical act. It was a local act opening up called Run River North, and like I'm so excited for all of it. And and I realized that I my expectations for the night were really high. So so this is to just echo what was going on a second ago. I think when we start having these high expectations, we set ourselves up for failure. And when we want to have control over everything then that is like the unreachable expectation. And we had an outstanding event, but in my mind, like there were three things or four things, like really trivial small things that only I noticed that went wrong. And I'm just like kicking myself. And so I guess my other pithy answer for you would be lower your expectations and raise your standards. Yeah. Nice. I'm gonna apologize to the line because we literally have- Word. 
<laughs> Thanks for the question. She wins. That was the, like the one. The, the one. I thought this was supposed response. to be a lightning round. Thank you. <laughs> I'm gonna apologize to the line because we have time for one more one more question at this point. Yeah, I know. So we oh. want to respect y'all's time. I promise to give you a hug afterward. Yes. And if you if you tweet us, I promise you will get a pithy answer yes. in return. Or yeah, you could call into the to the podcast. Um, you can now. Uh, you can even send us like a voice recording if you want to like write it all out and read it. But like we will get to it at least on the podcast for sure. Yeah. Podcast at theminimalists.com is the email address. We got time for one more. All right, Save the best for last. What's your name, brother? Joe. Uh, I have, you know, I guess I really relate to you guys because I was in the You same can take that mic out, man. I'm sure it'll be okay. Yeah. There we go. You know, because I was making a lot of money and buying a lot of things I didn't need. You know, I still have... CDs and DVDs I've never opened, clothes I've never worn. And um, so this is, this is great being here, great meeting you guys and listening to you guys. But I got kind of a fun question, I think it is anyways. Now, uh, what movie would you say you like the most that kind of relates to what um, you, know, you went through? Because I think of stuff like Fight Club and Office Space, and I know you've mentioned that in your podcast at times, which one is Tyler Durden, I suppose. And, uh, are there I'm any pretty others? sure there's like, there's just, there's actually just me and Rich on stage right now. And uh, <laughs> this is just a figment of my imagination right here. <laughs> I'm not even real, man. <laughs> How do you know it's not the other way around? Ooh. Oh. No, we can't, deci- we can't decide twist. which one's not real. <laughs> you, you just ruined the uh, next Netflix special. <laughs> <laughs> the plot twist right no. there at the end. So, so uh, actually, yeah, I think I think Fight Club and Office Space. There's like this uh, this marriage between the two, and you get our lives in a way. Um, are there any movies that stand out? Um, I've never been in a fight in my life, man. <laughs> that's not true. <laughs> <laughs> we used to box in in high school. Yeah, that doesn't count. All right, all right. Well, um, yeah, mo- I mean. There's one movie that stands out, uh, and it's it's back to the the control thing. It's a movie probably virtually no one in this room has seen. It's a it's a movie called August, and uh, has a, a, an actor named Josh Hartnett in it. And it was like a little indie film, and it takes place the the month before the well the month before 9/11 and the month before the you know, the the markets crashed and everything. And it was sort of this this tech bubble. But you had this guy who was thought he was all powerful. He was running his little tech company called I think it was called Landshark. I think it was supposed to be like a MySpace or Facebook or something. And it, he was running his little fiefdom. But then when you step far enough away, you realize that like he looks like he's in control, but he's really not. And everything around him is spiraling out of control. And it was so much like my life, where everything, if you look closely. Um, it, it, it looked, it sort of looked the this, this shiny facade, but you step back, you realize it was just that. It was a facade, and I didn't really have control, and everything in my life needed to change. And so, yeah, I mean, that, that was a movie that stood out. That's not a pithy answer for you, though. Yeah, I don't have a pithy answer. Um, if no one has seen, I guess this is the documentary, not a movie, but if no one has seen Tom Shady X, I Am. Go watch it. Yeah, like that great, one, great doc. That was, uh, it was so funny because like as um, Josh and I were having these conversations, I believe it was 
it was right around the packing party, either right before or right after, but that movie came out and it just like affirmed for me, uh, like I'm sure for you, Gary, like you heard Josh and I and you're like, oh yeah, like these guys, like okay, like this, I, I'm, I'm not crazy. Like that's what Tom Shadyac's I Am did for me. It's like, okay, I'm not nuts. Uh, so yeah, I don't know if you've seen that or not, man, but I Am is unbelievable. He did, Tom Shadyac did another movie called, I think it's Happy? I like I Am better, but they're both great movies. Yeah. You know, like when the, in the line in um, you know, Fight Club when he says, once you've lost everything, you're free to do anything. Yeah. It kind of relates to, you know, how he was trying to build a perfect life. It kind of relates to, you know, your story, I think. Absolutely. No, there's, well, you know what, Josh, so when I went to Josh, I'm like, dude, let's write about the packing party. And so, like, you know, I'd, I had been journaling for those 21 days and, like, um, you know, uh, Josh does a very good job of like taking my words and making them sound gooder. <laughs> and uh, we had like that packing party story, um, but then uh, uh, Josh had written um, a few essays, and one of them—I don't know if you—if this is why you thought of Fight Club, but one of our original essays on the uh, website was about how Fight Club was about minimalism. Yeah, yeah, and uh, there, yeah, I, I totally agree, man. Like, there are so many just, like, great takeaway lines in that. Um, if you want 25 quotes from that movie that are about minimalism, you just go to theminimalists.com slash FC. Yeah, it's a really good go. one. Richard, what about you? Are there any movies that have really, really stood out that have uh, either highlighted or changed things for you? As it, as it relates to minimalism or just in general? In general, in life. General. I mean, Fight Club is like my favorite movie. Yeah. You know, it's like, it's incredible. And I think it is a perfect, uh, it is the manifesto of minimalism and the allegory in that movie is really profound and it, yeah. it's very primal as well. Um, so I think that's appropriate. I also liked I Am. I mean, for those that don't know, Tom Shadyac was one of, the, one of the most successful directors in Hollywood. Literally, you know, had everything that you could ever possibly imagined and walked away from all of it. You know, and it's, it's it, he's, he's, the story is beautifully told in his eloquent style, and it's very moving. So I would definitely check that out. Beautiful. All right, well, let's, let's move on real quick to our added value segment of the show. This is where Ryan and I usually just recommend something. Ryan, do you have anything that's added value to your life on this trip? Yeah, man. Um, Ryan and I, we just ate at this place called Rome. It's, it's like right up here on, I forget what street this is. That's the one. You're pointing at the ceiling. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, it's great, man. It's, um, it's like totally local. I loved it because it was like, um, it, would, it had like, you know, here's, here's the hamburger and then like the farm it came from. Here's the free range turkey burger. Here's the farm it came from. It was just, I mean, you could just tell they're very deliberate with their, with their sources. But yeah, if you haven't been to Rome, go eat there. It is freaking awesome. And you can go there and get like a big double cheeseburger or you can like get a salad and get some like turkey burgers on top. So Hello. Or or you could go there and get a nice vegan salad. <laughs> but you seriously can. Like they have it's like food for everyone. It's great. And Mariah, God love her, she has so many allergies, so like it's really important we find we find good food for her because I mean, oh, I feel so bad when we go out to eat. She's like you know, what is in this? What is in that? And I'm like, like, if she doesn't ask these questions, like, there will be repercussions. 
Um, and they had like this amazing, amazing like uh, just like veg- hot vegetable mix um, that you got like a turkey burger on top of. But it was it was all good. All the food was great, and they totally do have vegan options there. Those, and if I may, those turkeys are totally vegan. I'm sure that's the first time he's heard that. <laughs> We're gonna talk after the podcast. Uh, I'm gonna be really cliche and and just just because I I. I I love their coffee so much. Blue Bottle is like one of my favorite places in the country. Um, and I order it when I'm back in Montana even. Even though Ryan and I own a, a, a coffee house down in St. Petersburg, Florida, I'm constantly ordering Blue Bottle coffee because I really dig it. There's a bunch of other awesome coffee shops here too, but uh, I tend to frequent Blue Bottle. In fact, I was just there right before we, we came here. Rich, you got anything? Uh, no, we're, I, 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 I had a great day today, but the thing that has brought me the most value is just being here with you guys, man. How oh. awesome is this? Such Rich, a privilege and an honor to be sitting up here with you guys. Everybody give these guys a hand. What they're doing, yeah. Incredible. Thank you so much, brother. It's, it's really an honor to share a stage with you. I'm grateful that you're here. Um, real few things that are going on real quick. We do a, a quick segment called Right Here, Right Now. We talk about what's going on in the lives of the minimalists. We're in the middle of a 40-city tour. It's called the Less Is Now Tour, and that's where we are right now. We've still got about half of that left. Uh, you can go to lessisnow.com. We're headed all over the country, all over Canada. We're doing the Midwest. We're going to be out east, down south, internationally. Uh, we'll be in Texas. And uh, we're... That's a, just a, a fun joke. Um, we love you, Texas. We're at, we have three stops over there. Uh, but yeah, we're, we're all over the country. If we're not coming to your city, we're within a, a couple hours drive of, of wherever you are in most places. And so if you want to see, see us, go to lessisnow.com. You can find all the dates, theaters, tickets, all that fun stuff. Also, we refuse to clutter our podcast with advertisements. So we could use your help. We're trying to build a new podcast studio and also to get a full-time filmmaker so we can turn this into a video version. But also we want to make a bunch of new video projects. So video essays, uh, live streams. We found that the documentary resonated with a lot of people so we want to do mini documentaries and a bunch of stuff that we can put online and put elsewhere. But because we don't make any money from the podcast whatsoever, we could use your help. If you want to contribute, you can just go to theminimalists.com, click on that donate button at the top. We just set up a Patreon page so that you can donate. Yeah, thank you. Um, Thanks, man. You can donate a buck or two per episode. And if you do that, it's going to help us. It does, none of the money goes to me or Ryan. It goes to build that studio. Wait, you know, what? <laughs> I, need some, I need some nicer black T-shirts. I thought we were going to get minimalist, a, a minimalist helicopter. <laughs> uh, it also allows us to, uh, to pay Podcast Sean a full-time living wage. And this is one of... Podcast Sean. This is what... Uh, so, if it was not for Sean, I don't know what we would do. So if you want to support us, just head on over to TheMinimalist.com. It supports Sean and his family. It helps us build a studio and do a bunch of other cool, meaningful creations that we can get out to you. Ladies and gentlemen, Podcast Podcast Sean. Sean, The man of many hats. And most important, I want to thank you all for being here. Ryan and I will be outside in about about 20 minutes or so. And you know what? You decided to spend some money so that we could rent out a great theater and be here. But you spent more than just money tonight. You spent your time and attention. Those are your two most precious resources. And we want to thank you and acknowledge you for being here tonight. And if you leave here with just one message, 
We hope it's this. Love people and use things because the opposite never works. Yeah. Thank you so much. Hi, my name is Kate and I am from Reno, Nevada. I recently listened to your family podcast and I had a tip regarding Ella's birthday presents and kids' birthdays and Christmases in general while you were trying to practice minimalism. We did a couple of birthdays and Christmases and tried to ask people not to bring gifts, but of course, family members always want to give you stuff. And honestly, I usually let the kids play with it for a week or so, and it all ends up at the thrift store anyways. So this last year, we decided to start adopting animals. And we have an animal arc that is just outside of Reno that rescues and rehabilitates um, wild animals and animals that have been raised in captivity and whatnot. But you can donate to them. You can pick which animal you want to adopt and you can donate to them throughout the year. So we adopted a wolf and at any of our kids' birthdays, we now put on the invitation that if they'd like to bring a present, if they'd like to donate money to the wolf, they can. We also adopted an elephant. I think we actually just fed the elephant for a day um, from the Elephant Sanctuary, which is located in Tennessee. We adopted an elephant for my mom for Christmas a couple years ago. So now, since she loves elephants, she gets a monthly email newsletter about how her elephant is doing, and she really loves that. So that could be a great way to get people involved. They feel happy giving you something, and then they can continue to follow that animal online. Hi Minimalists, uh, this is Paul calling from Cardiff in the UK. Um, just in response to uh, Tracy's comments on episode 85, uh, I thought it was a very good um, good advice to share regarding the tables, um, surfaces and how they can easily accumulate clutter. Um, I've just started trying to minimalise basically and things are going pretty well so far. Um, the one thing I find myself uh, really kind of has uh, found is accumulated clutter and uh, unnecessary items are boxes. In the past, I've kept a lot of um, kind of decorative boxes, tins, packaging, that sort of thing, um, which can be visually or aesthetically very, very nice, very interesting. But I found that that's almost been I think, like Trace said, a magnet for uh, for clutter and um, unnecessary items. So, just wanted to share that um, uh, maybe for for people like myself who are starting to look to minimise um, their possessions and their lives. Uh, another tip: uh, maybe watch out for for surfaces and for for boxes, tins, and similar similar things. Hey, Josh and Ryan. This is Haley from Arkansas. I feel like I've noticed a lot of other parents that are trying to get into this minimalism thing having trouble knowing what to do with all of the crafts and drawings and things that their children bring home from school. And uh, I recently discovered an app called Keepy. That's K-E-E-P-Y. And it's really neat. You can 
take a picture of whatever the item is and you can write a description of it. You can um, put when it was created and where. And then you can also record a video of your child describing what the drawing is of. And um, you can separate it to all of your children. So you have a different uh, folder for each child. And then you can share all these things privately with whatever family and friends that you want to. The app costs about $15 a year, but that seems really reasonable to me to cut down on the stuff that you're saving. And then there's another app or um, website called Keepsake, and that's spelled with a Q. So it's Q-U-E-E-P-S-A-K-E. And it's a service to help with um, recording memories of your kids, kind of in place of a baby book, if you wanted. And you can go in and enter your child's information, and then they will text you questions as frequently as you want to pay for uh, the free services once a week. But you can have it every day for each child if you want to, and also text pictures if you want to. So they text you a question and you reply back and then they save it and then you can just log in and look at your book if you want. You can print it out if you desire to at some point. But that's another way that parents can cut down on some of the clutter that comes with um, the fun parts of parenting. Every little thing you think that you need Every little thing you think that you need Every little thing that's just feeding your greed Oh, I bet that you'd be fine without it Every little thing that you gotta have Every little thing that you gotta have you gotta reach for and you gotta grab Oh, I bet that you'll be fine without it So tear your eyes away Or tear 